welcome to the WSU Wheat Beat Podcast. I'm your host, Drew Lyon, and I want to thank you for joining me as we explore the world of small grains production and research at Washington State University. We have weekly discussions with researchers from WSU and the USDA ARS to provide you with insights into the latest research on wheat and barley production. My guest today is Timothy Pollitz. Dr. Pollitz is a research plant pathologist with the USDA ARS Wheat Health, Genetics, and Quality Research Unit in Pullman. He has been located in Pullman since 2000. He specializes in soil-borne root pathogens of wheat, barley, canola, and rotation crops, both fungal, such as Rhizoctonia, Pythium, and Fusarium, and nematodes, such as the cereal cyst nematode. He is also interested in soil microbiomes and using next-generation sequencing to look at the effects of farming practices on bacterial and fungal communities. Hello, Tim. Hi, Drew. So uh, since your arrival in Pullman almost 20 years ago now, what are some of the key findings you have made on these diseases that you think are important for growers to know? Well, when I first got here, one of the questions I wanted to ask was, who are the players out there? Now, Jim Cook had done a lot of work on these three main groups, uh, Pythium, Fusarium, and Rhizoctonia. Um, but with the development of molecular techniques around that time, we could go out and really identify them much quicker and in much more detail than just using morphological characters. So. Uh, based on that, we found that we had nine different species of pythium that were out there, three big groups of rhizoctonia, and two big groups of fusarium. Then the next question we wanted to ask was, uh, are all these really pathogenic or virulent? So we did a whole series of, of greenhouse testing and determined that of that nine species that are out there of pythium, only about three of them are highly virulent. The other groups are probably more like weak pathogens, uh, nibbling the root, etc. And then when we looked at the rhizoctonia, we found we really had three different groups there. Uh, the AG8, which causes the bare patch. Uh, another one called rhizoctonia oryzae, which is uh, widely distributed and, and attacks not only wheat but other rotation crops. And then we discovered a third one that was really more specific for brassicas or canola, and that was called 2-1. Um, so then after we did that, we then developed a whole series of technologies that could quantify the levels of the pathogen in the soil uh, using something called PCR or polymerase chain reaction. And we, uh, through a series of papers, we actually licensed that technology to a, a lab down in Parma, uh, Idaho called Western Labs. But then that enabled us to really do a survey and go out all throughout eastern Washington and then ask the question, okay, we know who the players are, but where are they? And based on that, we, we uh, did studies and found, for example, that, uh, that Fusarium crown rot, we know we have two different species. The Fusarium pseudogriminiarum was more in higher, or higher temperature, drier areas, whereas the Comorum was in uh, wetter, cooler areas. So we're able to then superimpose upon these survey distributions some of the climatic conditions and try to get a better idea of really where, uh, where they were. So then once we did that, the other thing that I'm really interested in is management. And uh, over the years, we've done a lot of different work looking at um, different management techniques. Um, for example, the, the problem with most of these soilborne pathogens is we don't have any chemical controls for them to speak of. It's not like uh, rusts where we have fungicides. Now we do have seed treatments, 
And over the years, we've done a lot of seed treatment testing with the chemical companies. So, so for example, the Vibrance was one that we, we had tested out. Um, so that's probably the only chemical option. But then there are a lot of cultural options um, that we looked at, for example, seed opener disturbance, uh, residue management, uh, and greed bridge management. Um, and then finally, uh, under management, the other thing that's been a real important part of my program is working with the plant breeders, because I think that resistance uh, is going to be the major uh, way most economically of controlling these diseases. Now, we started out by trying to look for resistance to Pythium and Rhizoctonia, and unfortunately, we're not able to make any progress in those. But there's two diseases that we're presently working on now with Kim Campbell. Uh, one is the serial cyst uh, nematode, which has uh, very specific resistance genes that we could look at. And then the other is Fusarium crown rot. Uh, and both of these projects have been funded uh, by the Washington Grain Commission. And so I think that those are really gonna, gonna show the most progress. So that's kind of where my uh, work has gone in, in working with the growers. And then of course, a lot of uh, extension talks, talking with the growers. And in fact, a good um, resource that I could recommend that just came out last year was a book called Advances in Dryland Cropping System, uh, available from Extension and also a free PDF. So a lot of our um, results and findings were summarized in a chapter on that. So that, that in a nutshell is kind of the philosophy that I've taken here in, in working with uh, identifying problems uh, with the growers and then getting the scientific background and then trying to come up with some sort of management uh, technique. Okay. And, and in addition to these wheat diseases, I know you've uh, spent uh, some time in recent years, particularly uh, looking at canola diseases. One of these uh, that's caused some concern in recent years is black leg. I was wondering if you could tell us the status of black leg on canola in Washington. Uh, yeah, that's an interesting uh, question. Uh, until maybe six or seven years ago, the Pacific Northwest was really considered to be free of this disease. And it's the most important disease worldwide on canola. It's a big problem in Canada, big problem in the Midwest. But we were kind of lucky in that we never had the problem. Uh, then in 2011, we uh, reported a find up in northern Idaho um, near Bonners Ferry. And then in 2014, a huge epidemic broke out in the Willamette Valley of, of, of Oregon. And of course, there they grow not only canola, but a lot of vegetable brassicas. Um, and then it became a big problem there. And then in 2015, about a year later, uh, we started to pick up finds in the Camas Prairie of, uh, of, of Idaho from Winchester all the way up to, um, to Moscow. And so then there was a lot of concern about um, this disease. And at that point, uh, a group of us from Washington State, uh, Karen Sowers with the Oilseed Group, uh, Lindsay Dutoy and others, we got together a team to try and survey um, Washington to see whether this was going to be a, a, an important problem. And the reason we were so concerned was because uh, this is a seed-borne disease. And one of the ways that it can be moved into new areas is if growers bring in seed that's contaminated uh, with, this, with this pathogen. So we picked up some finds um, in Okanagan Valley, I think in 2016, uh, last year, we picked up some more finds around Othello, um, Odessa, uh, Ritzville, that area there. But so far, we've been lucky in that even though we've picked it up, it really hasn't become epidemic in the area. 
And that could be because of uh, climate conditions. But I think a bigger reason is because of the uh, quarantine regulations that the Washington uh, State Department of Agriculture has enacted. So about two years ago, they uh, enacted regulations that say any brassica crop, so that could be canola or that could be cover crops, has to be certified and tested to be free of this disease and also treated with fungicides. And I think in a way that's going to keep the uh, disease from spreading. Because the other important part of this is uh, we, we just think in terms of canola, but uh, in the Skagit Valley, uh, they grow probably 70% of all the brassica vegetable seed production for the country. And they're really concerned uh, that they keep it out of that area because once it gets into a seed production area, then, you, then you've essentially lost your market. So I think basically the, the situation still looks pretty good. Uh, growers are being vigilant. Uh, I've given a lot of talks uh, showing growers how to recognize it. But I think even though we we're detecting a few fines, uh, I think Washington State so far has um, kind of lucked out in that we've been able to keep this disease under control. Now, if it does become uh, endemic like it is in Idaho, then they'll have to use fungicides uh, to control it. And they're, they're using a lot of fungicides now as a uh, insurance just to keep it from spreading around. So... Um, yeah, so that's basically the uh, a summary of that disease. Uh, again, um, very interesting example of how new diseases uh, can move into areas where they haven't been and then cause a lot of problems. Something for our listeners to keep an eye on and listen yeah. for um, into the future, but it sounds like we're in okay shape right now. Yeah. Thanks, Tim. Okay, thanks, Drew. Thanks for listening to the WSU Wheat Beat Podcast. If you have questions for us that you'd like to hear addressed on future episodes, please email me at drew.lion at wsu.edu. You can find us online at smallgrains.wsu.edu. You can also find us on social media on Facebook and Twitter at WSU Small Grains. Subscribe to the show through iTunes or your favorite podcasting app. The WSU Wheat Beat Podcast is a production of Connors Communications in the College of Agricultural, Human, and Natural Resource Sciences at Washington State University. I'm Drew Lyon. We'll see you next week.